right. Now we're going to talk about freedom. Aaron got you excited. I don't really have an intro because we got all this going on, so I'm going to jump right in. We've been going in uh, the series on Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. It's a very, very, very important book. And we're in this section in the middle of the book, chapters 12 to 26. If you ever read through the book, it's case law. It's just straight up law. And I've tried to do a couple of weeks looking at a few just hand-picked laws and following the thread through into the New Testament, looking for the wisdom underneath the law and then seeing how it gets us to Jesus because the Bible really is a gift to get us to Jesus who is our life and our salvation and our hope and really the source of our freedom. But about a month ago, I preached on the Ten Commandments, which are kind of like the foundation, um, the, the center, the fountain of of the law in the Old Testament, and I raised the question, and I felt like I needed to return to the question before we move on to the next section in Deuteronomy. And if you were with us, I just asked you to begin, as we journey through the law, to wrestle with some of what might come up within you as we read about obeying God, (laughs) and you've been schooled in what we call modern-day Babylon, or because we're with Moses, modern-day Egypt, you've been schooled in a certain view of freedom. And if I tell you you need to obey, don't lie to me, there's something in you that doesn't like it, right? Because you've been schooled, you've been trained in modern-day Babylon and modern-day Egypt. And so I'm going to actually, because this is kind of a, it's kind of a conceptual, it's a little bit of a conceptual, more than normal. I mean, there's still going to be a little bit of an invitation at the end to surrender to our king. But, but, but some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, I just want to get you thinking. I mean, freedom's a big concept and it's pervasive, and I just want to get you thinking. Uh, And so I'm going to quote from a bunch of authors, but I won't stop and point it out all the way through. But if you want more resources, there are books I'd be happy to point you to. But one author says this, The soul cries out to be free, but the common perception is that Christianity stands in the way of freedom. It's all about obeying someone or something that tries to tell you how to live your life. And as a Christian, according to this perception, you're not free at all, but submissive, dependent, and enslaved by your religion. So people wonder, does God infringe on your soul's need for freedom? Does becoming a Christian mean somebody dictates what you do, what you think, and how you live? So let's get into that. Of course, I mean, you're not going to be surprised. I think Christ will set you free <laughs> in the greatest freedom you've ever known. But let's, let's journey a little bit, and we'll start. I'll read the beginning verse and then the last few verses in this big section of Deuteronomy. We're not going to look at a specific law today, but you can follow along on, on the screen or your phone or in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1, I just want to get this language of obedience before you. <laughs> Moses says, these are the decrees and regulations you must be careful to obey. And maybe check your spirit too every time you hear me say obey. Just pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Be careful to obey when you live in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Again, this is all gift. That's part of the narrative that, that helps us make sense of what's going on here. But in case you missed it, Moses says, you must obey them as long as you live. And this is how this section in Deuteronomy wraps up. Then there's a whole lot of laws listed out, case studies, all this stuff. And Deuteronomy 26, verse 16, today, the Lord your God has commanded you to obey all these decrees and regulations. So be careful to obey them wholeheartedly. Don't begrudgingly do this. Do this wholeheartedly. 
You have declared today that the Lord is your God, and you have promised to walk in his ways and to obey his decrees and commands and regulations and to do everything he tells you. We're going to come back to this at the end, but doesn't that, at this point, it feels a little one-sided, doesn't it? I mean, even if you get into Deuteronomy and scholarship, Deuteronomy is like this covenantal framework with a a sovereign, sometimes it's called a suzerain, and and we are like the vassals. It it, it does kind of lay out this way. It feels one-sided a little bit. We'll, we'll, We'll come back to that. Verse 18, the Lord has declared today, now he's talking to the people of Israel, but he's, I mean, still very much this is true for us today as the people of God. You're his people, his own, listen to this, you're God's special treasure. Just, you're God's special treasure. It's just as he promised, but don't forget you still have to obey all his commands. Right? And if you do, what happens? Well, he'll, he'll set you high above all the other nations he's made. You'll be, you'll be a light, a city on the hill, right? And you'll receive praise and honor and renown, and you will be a nation that is promised to the Lord your God just as he promised. So A lot of obedience, a lot of obedience. But what if we said throughout this series on Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were under the oppression of the tyrant Pharaoh in Egypt. And because they were under this tyrannical leadership, this oppression, they were malformed. And so God has led them out of slavery, and that's a big deal. He's led them out of slavery, and he is giving them this law, his will, so that they can be now formed again. They can be healed, and they can be a, well, we, we really leaned into this last week, a radically different kind of people. This gets sprinkled throughout the laws, but again, even if you read through, there's all these laws, all these laws, but even in chapter 24, verse 18, Moses pauses and says, always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from your slavery. So yes, we, we have all these things that we need to obey, all these commandments, but God has led us out of slavery to be free. And there's all, um, there's all kinds of New Testament verses Paul talks about freedom a lot. There's a lot I was looking at, but I don't think, I don't think anything gets more to the point than James 1.25. I love the book of James. I preached on it a few. I just love this book. But listen to James 1.25. This really gets, this gets the, this kind of what we're trying to work through here. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and even right there, you might not understand, how does that work? Well, just hang in here. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And you do what it says, obey God, and don't forget what you heard. God will bless you for doing it. You will find, he will form you into a different kind of people. You will find a life of flourishing and blessing. So that's kind of what we're going to meander our way through. And you can be thinking about your soul as we journey along the way. What is going to set your soul free in one book, the author says, in the movie A Christmas Story, you remember that movie? I haven't seen it for a long time, but before streaming cable television, I don't know if any of you remember this, but at Christmas time, TNT would just run that movie over and over. I think that's why I'll never watch it again. I like it was always on TNT. But in the movie A Christmas Story, I mean, it's like one of the great scenes. One of the kids has given a double dog dare to touch his tongue to a frozen flagpole on a December morning. You know what I'm talking about. And instantly his tongue is frozen fast to the icy metal. And from that moment, he isn't going anywhere. He is stuck. It's just this great scene. Kind of gross, but also awesome. He's a slave to his tongue. Freedom will come if it comes at all, only with enormous pain. The author goes on to say, we get double dog dared all the time. 
Make it about sex, make it about money, make it about security. That tender object stuck frozen to the flagpole is your soul. And it craves to be free. And we're not even sure what that means. So that's what I want to lean into a little bit. And there's, I'll just give you a little bit of a picture of freedom, and then we'll come back to this a little bit more at the end. But I just was going to give you like a personal definition. Sometimes when I talk about the gospel and what's available, I mean, if you're new to church, what's available for you in Jesus? In Jesus Christ, you will find a relationship where you have nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and no one to please. To me, that is a picture of freedom for my soul. You mean I don't have to pretend I have nothing to hide? Oh my goodness, what would that even be like? Nothing to fear, nothing to get anxious about. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to try to please because I've been pretty vulnerable with you. I love, like when I'm not operating out of my identity in Christ, I operate out of approval. I, I, I am who others say I am. But freedom for me in Christ means freedom from having to have the approval of others. It's very personal for me. Freedom to be who God has called me to be. Your soul is this tender, I mean, it's this tender thing and it's free. The soul is free if you're not enslaved to your appetite. Imagine that. If, if your thoughts are not obsessed with unfulfilled desires. I want, I want you to hear this. Your soul is free if your emotions are not slaves to your circumstances. I won't, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I wonder how many of you this morning would be like, oh my goodness. If you could free my emotions as from slaves to my circumstances. I, I, my, my, my day ebbs and flows based on my circumstances. You mean you could set me free? Jesus can set you free from that. If your bodily habits don't contradict your professed values, you mean I can be a person of integrity who actually lives out what I think? Well, yeah, that's, that's the kind of freedom that Jesus brings. But I'm living in this total contradiction. I, I'm sure you are, but Jesus can set you free. Now, that's a bit of a picture of the kind of freedom available in Jesus, but I'm almost going to spend a little bit more time I want to invite you there, but I'm going to spend a little bit more time on freedom as we've learned it in modern-day Babylon or modern-day Egypt. Freedom is the baseline cultural narrative of our, of our culture today. Freedom's always been important, but it's essentially important. It's, it's almost like an absolute value in the world we live in. And as I read at the beginning, Christi Christianity is sometimes seen almost as the arch enemy of that freedom. Because Christianity recognizes our dependency on something greater, and that is a radical challenge to our cultural definition of freedom. Let me say it this way. In modern-day Babylon, freedom means that there is no overarching purpose for which we were created. If there were, we would be obligated to conform to it and to fulfill it. And we don't like that obligation. That feels limiting, and so we move on with a definition that says true freedom is freedom to create our own meaning and our own purpose. That's a lot of the world we live in. And a few weeks ago, I quoted uh, from the song Olaf Sings in Frozen. I told you I've done way too much Disney in my day. Uh, I like Elsa as a character. I think she's a phenomenal character. But if you pay attention to, you know, Let It Go, which you probably ignore because you've heard it so many times at this point, 
But if you pay attention to that song, there is a part in it where Elsa just embodies the ethos of our day. She says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Sounds great in the movie. Looks cool. She's shooting ice everywhere. It's like super cool. But it doesn't work in reality. And I was even thinking, you know, we sang all these songs together as a church. Imagine if right now we stopped and we all sang up and we all, we, all st- we all sing loudly, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, and then try to live that out. I mean, good luck. We'll be at each other's throats in no time. Our modern understanding of freedom is, is freedom is self-assertion, which you stretch that out, it becomes, it becomes I need to be free and the only way I'm going to get there is if I dominate the people around me. I mean, that's just, it's just the dark road where this goes. Freedom in our world is having no restraint, so I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. My life is mine. I belong to myself. I don't belong to anyone else. Freedom, in a sense, means my will be done. I create my own universe. So let's just do a couple examples of how this would then play out in real life, even though, you know, if... You, You never drift into the Jesus way, but you'll drift into this understanding of freedom. Just listen to enough songs and watch enough movies and listen to enough talking heads. You'll get there. But imagine you're driving and a squad car pulled you over for going too fast. And you explain to the officer, I just don't feel authentic going only 65 miles an hour. When I drive, I try to be guided by my deep inner voice. And my deep inner voice was telling me today, go 90. You should go 90. So officer, don't try to impose your rules on me. When I'm driving, I have to be free, right? Or imagine, we're getting close to April, imagine an IRS agent knocks on your door and says, the government has noticed you haven't paid any taxes for the last 10 years. And indignantly you respond, I understand that paying taxes may work for other people, but not for me. It would feel kind of hypocritical. If I were going to give some of my money to the government, it would not reflect my deepest passions and values. So don't impose your rules on me. I have to be free. Okay, so I mean, you, you see the point, but let's go a step, a step further now. That'll maybe help us on our discipleship journey. Imagine, let's just pick, imagine you're in your 60s. It could be any age, but imagine, it seems like 60s, 70s, I, should have asked one of our doctors what's the best age for this. But imagine you're in your 60s, and, and, and you're, uh, this shouldn't be hard to imagine. You like to eat what you like to eat when you like to eat it, okay? That's, that's not hard. You don't even have to imagine that. You're like, that's me, all right. But imagine you go to your doctor, and your doctor says, eh, I love that you like to eat what you like to eat when you like to eat it, but if you keep doing it, your heart's going to stop beating. Well, now you have some competing desires. Now you've learned there's some different, there's, there's competing freedoms because you actually are a limited human being. You want to be free to eat what you want when you want, but you also want to be free to live a healthy life for a while. And it turns out you can't do both. A lot of life is like that, actually. You have desires that contradict, and you have to choose between desires. And part of the journey of following Jesus is, is gaining the wisdom, which again, a lot of God's law is there to help us gain this wisdom. But which of the desires are liberating? Because some of your desires are liberating. 
And which of the desires are enslaving? Because some of them are enslaving. Freedom cannot be defined in strictly negative terms as the absence of confinement and constraint. In many cases, confinement and constraint is actually a means to liberation. Example, if you have a musical aptitude, you may give yourself to practice, practice, practice the piano for years. This is a restriction, a limit on your freedom. There are many other things you won't be able to do with the time you invest in practicing. If you have the talent, however, the discipline and limitation will unleash your ability that would otherwise go untapped. What have you done? You've deliberately lost your freedom to engage in some things in order to release yourself to a richer kind of freedom to accomplish other things. Or let me say it this way, this might be helpful. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to strategically gain other freedoms. That's really how freedom works. You and I need to find the liberating constraints And again, I think God's law is there to help us find those liberating constraints. It's not the absence of constraints, that's chaos. It's it's which freedoms are the strategic ones. Uh, Which which ones will, will drive you to the deepest freedoms of your soul's longing? And as I say, pretty much every week, um, because we are made in the image of a God who reveals himself as love. Our God is love, and we are made in the image of this God. I still believe that our deepest desire is to be loved, is to be loved. But we wrestle with this, so let's jump back to Scripture here. Very, very famous story, uh, the Good Samaritan. Even if this is your first Sunday at church, you've probably heard the Good Samaritan. But I love the surrounding context. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I want to live well, and I want to live for a while. What do I need to do? And it's appropriate as we're going through Deuteronomy. Jesus says, well, what does the law of Moses say? (laughs) Have you read it? Well, yeah, I've read it. He's going to quote from Deuteronomy. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is right. That's a great answer. It's really good. Now go and do it. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole lot of obey, obey, go, go, go do it. And notice this. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Just read this account through what we've been talking about this morning. I don't think it's a stretch to see this man thinking as he interacts with Jesus, I want to be free, and loving my neighbor feels like a constraint, so who do I not have to love, right? I mean, that's the moment. I get it, but who do I not have to love? Where am I free to just, I don't want to, where am I free to just do what I want to do? Who do I not have to love? So Jesus tells the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And it's interesting because you both are going to, you're you're, going to see the fulfillment really of these laws in Deuteronomy for loving your neighbor. You're going to see it in the story. But Jesus is also, as he's using the different characters, is also like, Again, going beyond so that people can see the fulfillment in him and, his, and what he's doing. But it's, it's, I mean, this story is amazing. 
But the Jewish man's traveling from Jerusalem. He's attacked by bandits. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him, and they leave him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest comes along. He sees the man. He crosses the other side. He doesn't want to be ceremonial, unclean, and touch this man, so he goes by. A temple assistant walks over, does the same thing, just walks by. And then a despised Samaritan comes along, and he sees the man, and he feels compassion, love. So he goes to him, the Samaritan sues his wounds. Again, if you read through Deuteronomy 12 to 26, this is like where it points. Cares for this guy, sues his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the, the, he put the which is, I don't know, it's, it's just so weird to me. Sues the wounds with olive oil and wine. That's, anyway, he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Jesus says, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Who who here lives out their calling of love? Who here finds liberating constraints into this world of true freedom that I invite them into? And the man says, well, it's the one who showed him mercy. It's the one who lived out his compassion and his love. And Jesus says, exactly, now you go and do it. Now you go and love. It's a beautiful picture. And you know, sometimes we talk about, I want, I want you to think about, about this, uh, this environment that liberates us if we confine ourselves to it. So sometimes we talk about setting, setting our pets free, right? They're, they're domesticated pets and then you set them free in the wild. I want you to think, you've, just pretend you've got a goldfish and you've decided it is time to set my goldfish free. Well, a fish, because it absorbs oxygen from water rather than air, is only free if it is restricted and limited to water. If we put it out on the grass, its freedom to move and even live is not enhanced but destroyed. The fish dies if we do not honor the reality of its nature. What is the environment that liberates us if we confine ourselves to it like water liberates the fish? Well, it's love. It's love. It's mercy. Love is the most liberating freedom loss of all. A love relationship will, will, will invite you into the, you can be the truest version of yourself, but it will limit your personal options. Human beings are most free and alive in relationships of love. We only become ourselves in love, and yet healthy love relationships involve mutual unselfish service, a mutual loss of independence. One of the principles of love, either love for a friend or romantic love, is that you have to lose independence to attain greater intimacy. So if you want the freedoms of love and the fulfillment and the worth and the security and all that that brings, you must limit your freedom in many ways. And so again, this is where, this is where I'm like, some of this stuff you might have to sit with for a while because I'm basically telling you, you have to obey God to find freedom, which will cause you to obey God, which I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... It's just, you gotta, you got to sit with this. But in the nature of love, it begins to make sense. In the character of, of the God we meet in the scriptures. A person who lives how they want will never know the freedom of living in a love relationship. And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I mean just agape, like self-giving, other-centered love. And the more intimate and wonderful it gets, the more you have to give up your depend- independence. So if I talk to my wife after the service and say, hey, next Saturday, I just got, I got to get out of town. 
And she's like, uh, my parents are coming in town next Saturday. We're not getting out. Of, you're not getting out of town. And I say, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's not going to go well in the Kinnett household. There's got to be a little bit of give, right? And here's the thing, church. This is one of the things I, I really, I'm, I'm growing in my conviction on this. I really believe one of the primary callings of the church is to be a place where you and I learn how to love as we've been loved by Jesus together. And you need a place where you can make mistakes and you can fail along the way, but people then show you grace and redirect you with the wisdom of God, and we do it together because we're all aiming at Jesus, and it's not a competition. It's just this joyful family that we want to be transformed, and we got to do it together. We can't do it alone. We do it together. That's why we, it's one of the many reasons we gather. And if you can find yourself, if you find yourself in a, re- a relationship, we'll talk a little bit more about this, where it's one-sided, it doesn't work, that becomes exploitative. But if you can find yourself in a relationship where, where, where you have multiple people saying, I will adjust for you, I will change for you, I will give up some of my freedom for you, I will sacrifice for you, and, and you'll do it for me. Well, that, that's beautiful. If you find that, don't leave it. <laughs> That's a rare commodity in the world today. All right, let's go one, one step farther. John 8, I think I read this. I think I read this the week we were in the Ten Commandments. I just read through it, but let's read it again. There's a broader context going on in John 8, but I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus said to the people who, believe, who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Obey what I say. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. Obey what I say. And if you remain faithful, and, and you will know the truth, and what will the truth do then? It'll set you free. So obey me, and you'll find freedom. I mean, again, you got to, there's a whole conversation going on. We're descendants. We've never really been slaves to anyone, they're saying, which is kind of interesting because they're actually under Roman rule at the time. But, but Jesus, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I'm not even going to get a whole Roman thing. You're, 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 you're slaves to sin. You're actually not free. But then Jesus says this, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. All right, what is Jesus doing here? Well, a couple things. Jesus says a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs in it forever. And as you see, you know, we, the Christian understanding of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we believe the Son, Jesus, became, I mean, it's what Christmas became man, dwelt among us, and he modeled something. He modeled perfect obedience to the Father. And as Jesus talked about God in his ministry, he talked about him as Father. That was one of the gifts, I think, one of the many gifts that Jesus gives us is to view God as our heavenly Father, our loving Father. We talk, not, 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 our, not our boss, Again, we get so scripted in modern-day Babylon, we start to think about, and that's why we, that's why we, like, like we don't like the obeying part, because it's, it's our, is God my boss? No, God's your father. He loves you. He's willing your good more than you could imagine. And every commandment he gives you is for your good, is for your life. Every constraint he gives you is because, because he knows you're a fool right now. And the reason I say that is because I like to say this from time to time. You know, you know, if you look back at yourself 10 years ago, you were a fool, right? So, so 
the version of you 10 years from now is looking at you right now saying, you're a fool right now, you're a fool right now, you're a fool. And so your heavenly father is coming to you and saying, look, listen to me, trust me, honor my restraints, follow me into life. Even Some of you parents even know, like a boss, a boss will fire you if you're not doing your job. But parents know that if, if your kids are struggling and they're not doing what they need to do, sometimes your heart is more drawn to them in their struggle. I mean, it's just different with a father. And that's Jesus teaches us to pray to God as Father, to, to talk to him, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. I mean, as intimate as you can get. Now, there's two reasons that we often see God as a boss, and, and this can be whether you're a religious person or a non-religious person. A religious person, sometimes we get, uh, we get this all messed up, and we do good to get something from God. We talk about this frequently at Crossview. And when you do that, you become like a servant, and you, you obey the rules just because you want to, it's more about the gift than the giver. Right? With the gospel, the gift comes first, so we can just focus on the giver. But, but if you get this messed up, you do good to get something from God, and then the rules become crushing, and that's why we don't like the uh, obey the commands. But if we get really diligent at following them, it doesn't produce Christ-likeness. We actually just become self-righteous, and we look down on others. And we get upset if God doesn't give us what we want, what we demand. <laughs> but God is God's a father. He's not a boss. Or maybe you say, well, I'm not religious. I don't view God as a boss. Well, I, I would invite you to, to, to really reflect on your life. I believe every human being is living for something. And almost, I mean, any, pretty much anything other than Jesus you live for is going to eat you alive. So some of you may be here today and you're living for money and things. It'll eat you alive. You will never have enough. You'll get to your target and you'll realize you should have a little bit more. What about inflation? I didn't know inflation was coming. I need a little bit more, right? Or some of us, you're, you're living for your body and for beauty. And, and the problem is you never get there and you always feel like ugly. I'm just not there. I was telling JJ and I are exercising together a little bit. And I was like, Jay, I was like, I always want to look like I look right when I finish exercising. And da Jay's like, Dad, you'll never get there. Because even if you get in better shape, you'll never be, you're like, you'll never always look like you look just when you exercise. I'm like, you're right, I'll never get there. I'm always uglier than I could be, right? That's just like, but it'll eat you alive. Or, or maybe you're living for power. And if you're living for power, let me ask you, how often do you feel weak and afraid? Is it eating you alive? Are you living for your intellect? You just end up, I mean, you feel like a stupid fraud on the, on the verge of being found. They're going to find out I don't really know what I present myself as knowing. I submit to you, if you're willing to think about this, whatever you live for is your master and that's your boss. If it's the main thing that gives you value or worth or security or hope, if anything goes wrong with it, you'll melt down. You don't actually belong to yourself. But back to this idea of freedom in Jesus. Look, let's just pick your career. If you live for your career and something happens, I hope it never does, but something happens and you fail at your career, it'll destroy you because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to that. But I'm telling you, if you can follow Jesus' invitation into a deeper relationship with him, and Jesus becomes more important to you than anything else, more important to you than your career, then guess what? It doesn't matter what happens. You can just enjoy your career. 
You can enjoy it. This is a gift. God is allowing me to do this. It's a gift from God. If something happens, I'm fine because my identity isn't wrapped up in my career. My identity is wrapped up in being a part of this new family. I'm a daughter. I'm a, I'm a son of, G, of the Father, right? I'm a part of this family of God. That's so freedom. There's nothing you have to have because everything has been given to you as gift and you're just grateful. And so again, these commands from God come to us as gifts. Like, oh, I get to do this. I get to do this. When I do marriages, I often tell, like even when I'm doing the ceremony, I'm like, you know, you're, you're the one who gets to forgive this person. <laughs> you, you get to do this. You get to help this person grow and heal and be restored into the image of God. For a love relation to be healthy, there must be a mutual loss of independence. It can't just be one way. Both sides must say to the other, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you even though it means a sacrifice to me. If only one, as I said earlier, if only one party does all the sacrificing and giving and the other does all the ordering and taking, the relationship will be exploitative and will oppress and will distort the lives of both people. But again, this is the bigger narrative. At first sight, as we look at a relationship with God, it might feel that way. I just got to do what God says and it's one way and it's dehumanizing and exploitative. God has all the power and I just have to adjust to him and, and serve him. And, and what, what's he going to do for me? <laughs> well, let me remind you, again, as Moses reminded the Israelites that God saved them from Israel. In the most radical way, please remember, never forget that God has adjusted to us. In his incarnation and in becoming man, the word became flesh. In his atonement, in his death on the cross, in Jesus Christ, he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you. I'll serve you, though it means a sacrifice for me. Look, that, that is the narrative. That is the story that you are invited into. And that's why, even though this feels a bit paradoxical and upside down, right, the way forward is to surrender. <laughs> and I know, that, I know it feels paradoxical. It's not what you expect because none of you are going to go home tonight and watch the Super Bowl and anticipate that the Chiefs are going to come out waving a white flag. We surrender to the, to the Eagles. We just surrender. It's not going to happen. And so we just aren't used to that. But for your soul to be free, you have to learn how to surrender to your father. But it doesn't have to be scary because he's good and he loves you and he's wise and he's already showed you what he's willing to do for you. He's all in. I mean, he's already said he is all in. Will you be all in with him? That's the question. Will you be all in with him? Let's pray. Now, God, we want to take this moment right now. Maybe this is just an opportunity for all of us. I mean, we'll, we'll be authentic to where we are, but, but for those of us right now in this moment who, who want our souls to be free, and it's paradoxical to surrender, but, but we recognize we are not the center of the universe. We are not the master of our fate. We are not the captain of our own ship. We actually have competing desires and maybe we don't know how to navigate this whole freedom thing as much as we thought we did. 
Maybe, maybe you could just make it easy. Just give us that easy yoke. We'll just surrender here right now. We just surrender to you, Jesus. We just surrender. And we trust that you will lead us into life, into eternal life, a flourishing life. That some of these constraints that you ask us into are actually for our good and for our freedom. And so we surrender and we trust you because you are a good, good father. So hear our prayer this morning, Jesus. And Spirit of God, empower us to be true to our commitment to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.